Hello, and welcome to Pop DNA, the podcast that traces the literary and historical roots of your favorite movies and TV shows. I'm Rhonda. And I'm Erin. And today, we are talking about the TV series Gilmore Girls, which was created by Amy Sherman Palladino, who also executive produced the series along with Dan Palladino. And Gilmore Girls ran for seven seasons, one through six airing on the WB from 2000 to 2006, and then season seven aired on the CW from 2006 to 2007. And then the series was revived as a mini-series <laughs> titled A Year in the Life that first streamed on Netflix in 2016. And just what FYI, we are including A Year in the Life as a part of our Gilmore Girls discussion uh, because it is part of the canon. You know, it's very controversial. A lot of people had a lot of feelings about it, but just letting you know, we are going to be talking about it. And as always, there will be spoilers, especially from people who have been watching this for 16 years. <laughs> so if you haven't seen all of Gilmore Girls, go ahead and take a week or two and watch. Like three a month. You just like. Yeah, you know. Like seven seasons. <laughs> watch it all and watch then all come back. <laughs> um, so I also <laughs> wonder, Erin, um, if we should just, <laughs> should we just stay up front. We're both Team Jess. Ugh. What? It might come up, so just letting you know right away. Um, there is no other choice, <laughs> frankly, especially later when Jess gets his life together. What and he encourages Rory to write a book. He's... <laughs> oh, okay. love him. Okay, so, well, I mean, speaking of, Aaron, do you remember the first time you watched Gilmore Girls? I do, vividly. I was in the eighth grade, which is about 14 years ago, and um, I lived in a small town, Ojai, California, which is the same as Stars Hollow, except it was in California. Um, we were just as dramatic and nerdy and super teeny, so I just always identified with Rory because I also went to a private school in that small town world and had two very different... Um, worlds happening at the same time so I always identified that way oh um so I actually didn't start watching the show um until well so you have been watching it from like season three then or like yeah Mm -hmm. it was on ABC family free form for all you younger (laughs) folks and um yeah, I think I start, it would just be on randomly, but then I watched it all consecutively, and it really became, like, my identity. Like, I've identified so much with Lorelai as I've gotten older that people have seen my efforts to be her and, like, <laughs> seen parallels now just because I tried so hard as a kid. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I actually didn't start... I didn't, like, really watch this series in any, like in its order until like after it had already ended um so, well I think I like I got into it like as season seven like was ending cool. so I watched the finale yeah. but I hadn't seen like this the season like up till then so sure. like I just watched the finale because I had just gotten into the show yeah. um and it's actually it's actually my brother who got me into the show it's just awesome. yeah like you wouldn't expect that um but yeah. he so like I remember like when it was on like when first started on TV, I think I was, I don't know how old, I was probably in middle school, I don't know, yeah. or late elementary, early middle mm-hmm, school, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I remember seeing, like, 
the commercials for it and thinking like, oh, great, another teen show, like another like, I don't know, what were the teen shows then? Like, oh, it was One like Tree one, Hill. One Tree Hill, yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, um, it's going to be just like, hmm. yeah. Or like, well, it was the OC wasn't on yet. The OC came a couple years later. Yeah, but it was but like I thought that it was like in the same vein as I was like, I'm going to watch that. Yeah, and then um, like so like through high school, I think my my brother was watching it like. <laughs> Um, because, like, you know, it has two cute girls in it. I think well, that's yeah. why. <laughs> but, but he was like, no, this is actually a good show. Like, you'll like it. You need to watch it. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then, <laughs> and then I think he, I don't know, like, how he finally convinced me to watch it. But I think the first episode I saw was um, the one where they do Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> and I was like, what? What is uh-huh. up with this? And so, like, I kind of watched it, like, in bits and pieces. And yeah. then, like... Um, my brother bought uh, season two for my mom for her birthday because he was trying to get both of us into the show. Um, so, like, we started from season two, and then, like, yeah. when we got through all of the DVDs, <laughs> I, yeah. went, I went and bought season three and watched all of it. Then mm-hmm. I went and bought season four and watched yeah. all of it. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, just until, like, I finished all of it. So, that was... <laughs> That's my story. <laughs> At the very end, I was so busy. It was airing, uh, and we were watching the final seasons. And I was so busy with school. I was a high school junior and then senior. And my mom would take diligent notes on what had <laughs> happened each week because I didn't have time and we didn't have the DVDs or Netflix or anything. So my mom would write these like page, pages and pages of notes of what I missed when I was in school. <laughs> So that's how my, because my mom and I are very much like Lorelai and Rory and... Oh, yeah. like when Lorelai writes down like all the movies she wants to watch with Rory. <laughs> exactly. Like, things them in a box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm like, if, you know, we're obviously both huge fans of the show. Um, I think a lot of people who are fans know that there is something that exists called the Rory Gilmore Reading Challenge. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I think like what like what made us identify so much with Rory is the fact that she is a reader you always see her reading books um we'll just take a look at the reading challenge here so the uh here let's go to yeah there we go oh no not that (laughs) we can edit this out later right I'll I'll figure out (laughs) I'll figure out how to edit this the (laughs) authenticity has to be continuity so we're (laughs) talking So we've been looking at the list um, that someone has compiled of like 339 books that, um, so this says over the course of seven seasons, the Gilmore Girls, uh, of Gilmore Girls, Rory Gilmore was seen reading 339 books on screen. I don't think that's actually true. I don't think so either. Because a lot of these books that we're looking through here um, are like... So, like, some of them I do remember seeing her reading it, but mm-hmm. a lot of them are like, no, they never even, like, talked about this book. So, I don't know where they're getting... Like, we were talking earlier about um, The Count of Monte Cristo. Like, they never... So, The Count of Monte Cristo is on this list, mm-hmm. but they never mm-hmm. talk about the book on the show. The only scene that I could think of was the scene at Luke's Diner where they're talking about the Monte Cristo sandwich that he took off of the menu. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I'm wondering if that's where they got the they decided to put Count of Monte Cristo on this list. But anyway um, I think this, they, sorry. Yeah, but anyway, this site's really cool because um, 
It's uh, listchallenge.com or listchallenges.com. So if you go onto it, you can actually check off. Um, like Anton Chekhov, you can check <laughs> which of the books you've actually read, and then it'll give you your total at the end. So I did it, uh-huh. and I, I think I checked off 96 of them. Nice. Respectable. I, many, but, yeah. I think it includes, does it include thing, things that Jess read as well? Is that how oh, we got yeah, like, the well, big stuff? Yeah, I think it's just like any mm-hmm. possible way that they could say that this book was somehow mentioned on the show. So even yeah. if they like referenced a movie and that movie was based on a book, they sure. put that book onto this list. So I yeah. think that's where they got it. But um yeah, it's just kind of fun. But uh <laughs> Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, so well, we don't have time to go through the entire list right now. <laughs> uh-huh. But there's a lot of Stephen King on here. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, really obscure, like, early 20th century, like, the beat writers, mm-hmm, and, like, mm-hmm. obviously a lot of classic literature. It's, it's really a very wide variety. Yeah, it really they, is. Their reading interests were very varied. Like, yeah, they kind of read everything. <laughs> like, Rory, Rory says in that one where she has, like, the stack of books on wine in oh. Haiti, because she's worried about Mitch Hunsberg. <laughs> oh my gosh. Or the one where she sees that Harvard has like um so many libraries and she's like, I haven't read anything. <laughs> like, well yeah, you have. It's just You read three hundred and thirty nine books. Exactly. <laughs> In your whole life. Um and then also somebody also put a list together of um the twenty two books that were referenced on a year in the life. Wow. Yeah. Uh, which that doesn't sound like very many, but considering that this is just six hours worth of content, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there were only 22 literary references in the entire series of The Office. Um, when I know because I wrote a blog post about it. It was lovely. <laughs> so Check it out. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, 22 book references in, in what, six hours. That's, right. That's actually kind of a lot. That's a lot, especially yeah. because you... You come back to this whole family, and you want to know a lot about them. What have they been reading? And what right? They, yeah, what are they interested in? Yeah. Um, one of the novels on Rory's list that comes up a lot throughout mm-hmm. the series is Leo Tolstoy's Anna Karenina. Um, so this book, like I said, it pops up a lot. Um, the characters talk about it a lot. You see Rory reading it, like I think at least three or four times throughout the series. Um, and then characters' lives start to echo it a little bit. Um, that we'll see in a moment. But before we get into that, just a little background on the novel for if you know if you're not familiar with it. So Anna Karenina was initially released in serial installments, like a lot of novels at the time, um, from 1873 to 1877, <clears throat> in the periodical The Russian Messenger. And then it was published as a complete novel in 1878. But since it was published in that serial format, uh, you know, like Dickens published in that Mm -hmm. format a lot, um, a lot of authors did, um, over the course of several years, so people would just read like one chapter a week for like years at a time. So it's really, you could say that it was like a soap opera of its time. Sure. Um, But the main plot centers on an extramarital affair between... Anna, who's a beautiful society wife, and the dashing cavalry officer, Count Vronsky. 
Their affair scandalizes the social circles of St. Petersburg and forces the young lovers to flee to Italy to escape the scandal and ostracization of their hometown and um, attempt to find happiness. But this attempt proves to be futile. And on their return to Russia, their lives further unravel, devolving more and more until eventual disaster and tragedy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so this book is set during a time in Russia's history that was very, um, very like in upheaval and in transition between kind of this old world aristocracy and uh, kind of the new society that was coming up and promoting democracy mm-hmm, and um, and see, yeah, democracy, technology, rationalism. Um, and so there's this culture clash that's unfolding um, through this emotional drama of seduction and betrayal and redemption. Um, so the first mention of Anna Karenina on Gilmore Girls actually comes in season one. Um, this is when <laughs> Rory convinces Dean to read it because uh, mm-hmm. she says she tells him that it's one of her favorite novels. And Dean says that it's depressing, which it is. (laughs) But Rory says that it's beautiful. Uh, We can see that at the age of 16, Rory really romanticizes Anna's story. As Dean mentions, um, at the end of the novel, Anna throws herself under a train to commit suicide. Um, This is when she's become increasingly jealous and irrational towards Bronsky, her lover, she suspects him of having affairs with other women. She's also convinced that he's going to leave her to marry a rich society woman. Um, the fact that she is okay with cheating on her husband, but not with her lover getting married, mm-hmm. just kind of shows mm-hmm. the irrational, um, emotional, moral state that she's in. Um, but as mentioned, Rory romanticizes the story of infidelity and betrayal and emotional torment. As seen in her response when Dean mentions that suicide scene, Rory says, but I bet she looked great doing it. <laughs> so he says, he throws, she throws herself from the train. She's like, yeah, that's fine. Um, but her response is glib, but we can see that this ending to the story isn't really a deterrent to Rory in her idealization of Anna and Vronsky's relationship. Do we still need to pause at 15? Yeah. Darn. So this discussion of Anna Karenina is at the very beginning of the episode. Um, So it's season one, episode 16. And this is the episode with their three-month anniversary. So it's the one where at the end, you know, he gives her the car and tells her he loves her, and then she doesn't say it back, and he breaks up with her. Um, (laughs) Just to catch you up. Um, So... ...is perhaps a bit of foreshadowing for the episode, but I think that it's also foreshadowing Rory's arc really the entire series Um, because this is an early indication or an early hint that Rory might not be morally opposed to marital infidelity um, at least not strongly enough opposed to it that she wouldn't you know be above it (laughs) in certain circumstances and we see that attitude develop further um, when Jess is introduced in season two so Rory becomes and more and more emotionally 
unfaithful to Dean. Um, and we might not take this as seriously because, you know, they're not married and they're 16 and Dean's kind of, you know, <laughs> you know yeah, Dean's kind of, yeah. But, I mean, that's really, that's really what she's doing. She's, yeah. um, you know, she's, uh, uh, like, her behavior isn't exactly the best. Um, and Dean's behavior definitely, like, overshadows that because he does get, like, very, you know, very jealous and possessive and controlling, and that's, like, not okay for him to act that way. Um, but um, Rory doesn't handle it the best either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we see Rory and Jess's relationship when they do finally get together kind of plays out in a series of misunderstandings and miscommunications throughout the third season. So we get the sense, um, at least I did, you kind of get the sense that they're doomed from the start, um, much as you do uh, with Anna and Vronsky and Anna Karenina. Um, Their relationship is just really intense. They Mm -hmm. idealize each other to Mm -hmm. a large extent to the point where they never really fully understand each other, I don't think. Um, well, and you know, because they're they're teenagers and they're immature, so yeah, yeah, that that plays into it as well. Um, but um, Rory doesn't, <laughs> so Rory doesn't throw herself under a train, <laughs> but she does uh, kind of sort of watch their relationship implode from the inside out as Jess is trying to deal with his family issues mm-hmm. um, and he shuts her out and then he just leaves town without telling her so um, but I like that Rory is actually really strong about this um, she tells him even though she loved him she's not going to let their breakup and like the way that he handled it like get in the way of her moving on with her life um, so she's she like basically tells him like she's not gonna throw herself under a train over this. Um, but as we see in later seasons, Rory doesn't ever really change in her moral ambiguity, and in fact, it gets worse because um, of course we know she ends up having an affair with Dean while he's married to Lindsay in season four, which um, a lot of fans saw this as a huge departure from Rory's kind of innocent good girl persona. And they found it hard to understand and identify with her character when this happens. Um, but, you know, we saw in season one her, like, what she kind of maybe was thinking back then. Uh, but in Anna Karenina, we do sympathize and identify with Anna. But the author never actually condones her and Vronsky's immoral actions. Um, and in fact, the narrator shows the devastating consequences of those actions for Anna and Vronsky themselves and the ripples that they create throughout the lives of the people they love. Um, we see similar consequences with Rory to kind of an extent. Um, and especially in regards to her affair with Dean, we have Lorelai as the moral compass, plainly telling Rory that like what she's done is wrong. Um, and we also see her we see her wrestle with the morality of it and face some of those consequences, mm-hmm. but I don't think she ever really learns from it. Because <laughs> um, then in A Year in the Life, she has an affair with Logan while he's engaged. Um, she's also in a relationship with someone else at that time. Um, so in the summer episode of A Year in the Life, we see Rory reading Anna Karenina again. 
Um, it's when she and Lorelai are by the pool and Lorelai's reading wild. <laughs> um, so that's like kind of another subtle callback to that earlier reference. And again, kind of foreshadowing or paralleling what's happening in her personal life. Yeah. So we see her repeating the same or similar pattern over and over again, except it just like gets worse every time. Rory, what are you doing, Rory? Yeah. <laughs> um, so Anna Karenina, like like I said, it's mentioned a lot in this show. Like I would like to see somebody count up just how many times <laughs> Anna Karenina is mentioned. I bet it's like more than any other book. Uh, but it's mentioned again in season four, um, and this one's like a little bit lighter. <laughs> but Luke uh, Luke is trying to quote um, this book to describe his own family. So this is when. Um, his sister Liz has just come back into town. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, and also, Jess has just come back into town. So, like, both of them have been out of his life mm-hmm. for a while, and they both have had issues, and he has had to clean up their messes, and they both come back. Um, <laughs> so, like, if you're familiar with the show, you know all about their interesting family history. Um, but then he expresses his um, frustration about this to Lorelai. Um, and we have a scene here that we're going to read. So, would you like to be Luke or Lorelai? You chose. Is there one you, you had in why mind? Why don't you be Lorelai? Okay. Since you identify with her so much. I, okay. I will. Okay. So, and action. What a lie it all is. All what is? Families. I mean, they're just messes. It's like this spilled drink that just keeps spilling and you gotta keep cleaning it up and you scrub and you scrub and you just can't get the stain up show me a happy family just one didn't that that Tolstoy guy say something about families probably it's a famous thing he said it's like all families are unhappy or or happy on the surface or unhappy in the same way sounds a little incomplete well you know maybe he couldn't complete the thought because he was dealing with his stinking family the Hallmark people know about you because you're a natural. And scene. <laughs> so, so the actual quote, it's a, actually like a famous first line mm-hmm. um, from the novel. It's, happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. So I think that's, that's what he was trying to say. So Luke is using it to describe his own family and his complicated and strained relationships with them. Uh, but I found it interesting that, given that Anna Karenina does come up so often, and well, and um, other, you know, similar Russian novels as well, um, this line could really be about the Gilmore family. Absolutely. <laughs> I wouldn't say that they're like an unhappy family, but they're definitely a very complicated family. Right. Would you say they're an unhappy family? I think that they each finds their happiness either alone or in like a small group of Mm -hmm. the family at large but I don't think as a family they're happy yeah it's confusing I don't know yeah are they a happy family or are they an unhappy family I see them as unhappy what is a happy family (laughs) right well right yeah I think to the to society they are because they've hit those check marks to be Mm -hmm. a successful family but I don't know how happy everyone is. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, what do you think? 
Should should we discuss another strong literary woman? Another strong literary influence. Um, well, I don't. I mean, we. So we should put a link to this video in mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. post because. It's really like everything that I could possibly hope (laughs) from a YouTube video. Uh It's just... So, (laughs) we have this... I found this video like years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the the title of it on YouTube is Gilmore Girls Pride and Prejudice Style. Or Pride and Prejudice (laughs) Gilmore Girls Style. One of those two. But basically what someone has done is they've taken the audio from the trailer for the 2005 Pride and Prejudice... And they used clips from Gilmore Girls <laughs> to, like, play out the trailer. So, and did you end up watching it? I forgot, but I really <laughs> want to. Yeah. This is well, amazing. Well, well, let's watch it after. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, the cast from the video. So, they have Rory as Elizabeth Bennett and Jess as Mr. Darcy. <laughs> I think that we're both pretty happy with that choice. Um, And then they have... So this is weird. So Charlotte Lucas has two lines in the trailer, Mm -hmm. but they split those up. They have Lane saying one of them, and they have Lorelai saying the other. Huh. Um, Which is interesting because both Lane and Lorelai have played that kind of role in in Rory's life as, like, the wise best friend. Sure. Sure. Um, Anyway. But then they have Lorelai's, Mrs. Bennett, obviously, because... Um, and then Luke is Mr. Bennett, <laughs> which, oh, which I think is kind of funny because, um, so Donald Sutherland plays Mr. Bennett in uh-huh. that version of Pride uh-huh. and Prejudice. And there's that, um, there's the, uh, the episode where, um, Luke is sponsoring the girls' soccer team and, um, yeah. <laughs> and wait, so like Lorelai says something like, oh, they're going to make a movie of your life and, and they'll cast Donald Sutherland. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's. The, I don't. I don't That's know. It's amazing. Um, yeah. So it was fate. Um, and then they. <laughs> this is great. They have Logan as Mr. Collins. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> neither of us like Logan, so we're very, very happy with no, that no. too. And then this is perfect. Emily as Lady Catherine. Well, the part she was born to play. Obviously, yes. <laughs> they didn't have a lot in common. Oh my goodness. Um, but it's a video notwithstanding. So yeah, like we'll post that link. Watch the video. It's amazing. But video notwithstanding, um, how do you think we would cast Gilmore Girls characters as Jane Austen characters? Ooh. It's like keeping in relationships. In t- so, like, this basically keeps relationships intact, but we didn't really have to do that. Yeah. Um, well, like, I see Luke and Lorelai's relationship as very, like, Mr. Knightley and Emma-ish. Uh-huh. I see Rory as a bizarro combination of um, Elizabeth Bennett and Emma because she gets so spoiled at the end. She gets so, like, spoiled and bored. I also see a little bit of Fanny Price Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm, Rory mm -hmm. just because of her, well, in a really weird way, she has, like, her own morality that doesn't, like... Like, I wouldn't say, like, fits with yeah. <laughs> other people's morality, but she's very true to it. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. What about Paris? Oh, my gosh, Paris. I love Paris. Who is Paris? Would she be, like, would she be, like, uh, Catherine Bingley? Or not, Caroline Bingley, not Catherine. Yeah. Caroline Bingley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. <laughs> yeah. I I think 
we've talked about this before, but I like Paris more and more the oh older gosh. I get. Yes. You, like, totally see, like, mm-hmm. where, where she's coming from. Yeah. Like, as you get older, you're like, yes. <laughs> she's like, high <laughs> school is the worst. I hate all these I'm people. surrounded by idiots. I have <laughs> to be here in order to get my goal in life. <laughs> Ugh, Paris, Ophelia. <laughs> Ophelia? I feel you. <laughs> Um, but I actually, I see Gilmore Girls as a descendant of the works of Jane Austen for a few reasons, actually. So when we think of Jane Austen novels, we probably think of like a romance novel, love story, um, what we English majors and those <laughs> that in the literary know would call it um, the marriage plot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like you probably, like, I think it's pretty common. Like yeah. most people have heard of the marriage plot, like mm-hmm. you know what it is. Um, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a term that is used to label a lot of novels written in and around Jane Austen's time. So we're talking anywhere from 18th century up through the turn of the 20th century. Um, other famous authors known for the marriage plot are Samuel Richardson, who wrote Pamela. Uh, that was mm-hmm. in 1740. So wow. yeah, so it's been around for a while. Um, but then you also have like the Brontes, mm-hmm. several mm-hmm. of their novels, George Eliot. So the plot is pretty much that the female protagonist meets and gets to know and ultimately marries a man, but there are obstacles along the way. So, I mean, that perfectly describes every Jane Austen novel's plot, at least on the surface. Exactly what we're supposed to do as women. (laughs) Yes, on the surface. On the surface. So Jane Austen uses the marriage plot because that was what was available at the time. So she has all of her heroines married off by the end of their novels because really for that time, that was the only way this story could realistically end happily. Marriage was literally a woman's only option if she didn't want to like potentially starve to death or I guess like become a prostitute, but that wouldn't be so great either. Um, so Jane Austen has all of her heroines stories end in marriage, but it is always marriage on their own terms. So in Pride and Prejudice, Lizzie refuses Mr. Collins' proposal, which is really revolutionary. Um, and then she refuses Mr. Darcy's first proposal as well, which is even more revolutionary because she's choosing her own autonomy over not only society's expectations and her family's expectations, but also because she's really passing up what could be her only chance to not end up destitute later in life. Um, so, what does this have to do with Gilmore Girls? You might, I know that's what you're thinking, Erin. <laughs> oh, you know. <laughs> so, we see really clear parallels uh, with Lorelai's choice to reject her parents' world of privilege to raise her daughter in a small town and work as a maid to support herself. We also see that independence reflected in Rory's rejection of Logan's proposal um, at the end of the original series. Uh, she wants to pursue her career goals and not be uh, tied down. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, but we constantly, throughout the series, we really see Lorelai and Rory to, I think, a slightly lesser degree, but we still see Rory as well, um, 
really making decisions about their own lives independent of what other people think they should do. Yeah. Um, so Gilmore Girls, like the novels of Jane Austen, is really about women making their own choices and exploring life on their own terms. And because of that precedent that was set by Jane Austen for the possibility of heroines with autonomy and strength of self, we've had the pleasure of reading and watching countless female characters, including Lorelai and Rory, who, though they may not always make the best choices, the choices are theirs and theirs alone. Um, and I also, you know, I see Gilmore Girls as a descendant of Jane Austen's work in the wit and humor mm -hmm. that both of them have. So Jane Austen wrote some of the most delightfully ridiculous characters in literature. Uh, you have Mr. Collins in Pride and Prejudice. Really, Lady Catherine is kind of in that too, I think. Um, Miss Bates in Emma. She's hilarious. Um, Sir John and Lady Middleton in Sense and Sensibility, just to name a few. And as every Gilmore Girls fan knows, the town of Stars Hollow is full of delightful and kooky characters. Uh, this depiction of a quirky small town where everyone knows each other and is in each other's business is also reminiscent of many of Jane Austen's settings um, for many of her novels, uh, like the towns of Meryton and Highbury in Pride and Prejudice and Emma, respectively. Austin wrote a lot of commentary on the nature of small town life, famously writing in Northanger Abbey about country towns where every man is surrounded by a neighborhood of voluntary spies and where roads and newspapers lay everything open. <laughs> so does that sound like Stars Hollow? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I think Jane Austen, um, she's really known for her sharp and witty dialogue, um, yeah. which... ASP is it like oh. ASP is Amy Sherman Palladino, just the goddess. Um, she's very much known for that as well, um, as well as you know keen observations of human nature, which you see in a lot of a lot of Gilmore Girls. Yeah, including <laughs> kind of the next um, really major influencer for Gilmore Girls is, as we've talked about before, this kind of. Um, friction between the life of Emily and Richard Gilmore that was supposed to be the life of Lorelai as well. And then the choice Rory makes to either go with her mother's life um, in a small town world or find out that she really likes the Emily and Richard way of going. So um, Lorelai and Rory Gilmore are vastly opposite when it comes to their life choices later on. Um, Lorelai moves as swiftly as she can from the elitist <laughs> world of her parents. And she, just in general, she moves as swiftly as she can. away from them. She was offered <laughs> all of these privileges that the world has to offer, and she did not enjoy a second of it. She talks about how suffocated she felt by the weight of being born into high society. There's a moment in the first season where there's a wedding going on, and we see Lorelai watching um, this mother tell her daughter to sit quietly in this big fancy dress and not enjoy the outside or the lawn or really live her life and then Lorelai uses that moment and shows that to Rory as an explanation of why she didn't want Rory to enjoy the country club life. 
mm. um, to really explain that that's, that was her experience as a child. She experienced being seen and not heard in her pretty frilly dress and being the idyllic child that Emily expected her to be. Um, but I digress. Yeah. Um, perhaps I that is the that. difference here. I love here. that scene, though. I know. It's really... It's kind of perfect because that's that's the second episode of the series, and that's where so we're really like setting the tone. They're like, really this is their relationship. This is yeah. yeah, and this whole conversation about Rory going to the um, the country club with her grandfather and loving it and having <laughs> a really good time, and Lorelai feels really threatened that. Rory would like that lifestyle that she just assumed she wouldn't like but um, perhaps that's the difference here um, because Rory lives a normal life until she was old enough to choose mm. to join in the ranks of the raucous grandeur and frivolous often wasteful mm-hmm. and fun higher academic elite that Richard Gilmore and Emily Gilmore enjoyed um, as they were in college at these big prestigious colleges um, the two there's there's an inevitable distinction between rich and poor at play here and Rory and Lorelai both share this fascination with adventure and as um, you were mentioning this need to make their own decisions Mm -hmm. and so Rory I think really wants to be sure that she doesn't want this life before she just says no no thank you I'm done um they choose which side of things they identify with more and ultimately frame their lives around this choice, you know, of which world they're going to fall into. Um, so the poor here is represented by a life of freedom where you live in a small town and really earn everything that you have or the Lorelai Gilmore lifestyle. And then there is the world of secret societies and academic glamour that has been chosen by Rory. Um, there's also the socialization that Rory receives at her um, private school, Chilton. Mm -hmm. She's told by Headmaster Charleston that he won't write her a letter letter of recommendation unless he can prove that she is not only academically elite, but also socially elite. Um, And so that's when she um, sits down at a random table, as she (laughs) says it, which winds up to be the Puffs, the biggest high society... um, and as far like as I can, Sandra Day O'Connor. Yes. <laughs> and as far as I can tell, like there are no, well, maybe that's just better kept secrets because it would be relatively illegal to bring under like minors into this whole secret <laughs> society world. But we see things like 4-H and different um, pageantry, but we don't see any secret societies that I could find. But there are so many secret societies once you reach the collegiate mm-hmm. level, which mirror um, the secret society that Rory falls into with the life, um, and, death with the life and death brigade. Which, again, like with the puffs, she is told in order to go to Harvard and get that letter of recommendation from Headmaster Charleston, she's told that she has to socialize. And then in Yale, she is told. In, in order to write a good story for the Yale Daily News, she comes into contact with um, the Life and Death Brigade. So both of them were, in order to better herself um, and reach her goals, she goes for these kind of high-rank, elitist um, places. So it is interesting to research societies like the Life and Death Brigade because there are some at 
almost every campus in the nation, and they don't necessarily want you to know the dirty, dirty, real truth about them, so they've positioned themselves with information that would make them seem prestigious in mm-hmm. order to further this um, this viewpoint. So um, there are societies which work together to aid different causes. There are they list the charities that they help and then the influential influential humans that were a part of that society. Like but, Sandra Day O'Connor. Like Sandra Day O'Connor, O'Connor, but all of this feels suspect because they're trying to sound prestigious, right? Like, you never really get at the heart of the matter because they don't want you to know the dirty of it all. But the Dangerous History Podcast and Off the Path by WSHU Public Radio um, told a little bit about the history of these groups. Um, So there's enough information to suggest that these secret societies, specifically the Skull and Bones, was originally created as a um, speech and debate club at Yale because there were no Mm -hmm. speech classes. Mm -hmm. And it was to position white male students um, in a place where they could I think each each week they had to speak extemporaneously hello, <laughs> um, for five minutes. And it's like Toastmasters? Yes. <laughs> um, in order to then become um, movers and shakers, because you have to speak eloquently. Like yeah. You run for office, you need to. Yeah. It's, and it's also a way it became like a stepladder to be... Um, influential in America, which is very concerning, but (laughs) it then starts to feel like our entire country is run by these secret societies, which gets us to, we were talking about the DAR. Um, So the DAR was founded in 1890, Mm -hmm. um, and these groups, um, the Skull and Bones and all of these societies, were only done in 1832, only for males. So women started getting in on the scene in 1890. Yeah, um, so um, the DAR is something that comes up a lot in Gilmore Girls, especially toward, well, like Emily's, like, mm-hmm. Emily talks about it a lot, but then, um, like, later on, Rory ends up getting involved with it because she's not at school. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I don't know, I think it's interesting. We were just doing a little research on the DAR. Um, so it actually, yeah, like you mentioned, it started in 1890. Um, so it was during a time that, this is um, directly from the DAR's mm-hmm. website, so, um, during a time that was marked by a revival in patriotism and intense interest in the beginnings of the United States of America, women felt the desire to express their patriotic feelings and were frustrated by their exclusion from men's organizations formed to perpetuate the memory of ancestors who fought to make this country free and independent. As a result, a group of pioneering women in the nation's capital formed their own organization, and the Daughters of the American Revolution has carried the torch of patriotism ever since. Well, that just sounds so fluffy. (laughs) And and it really does. And um, when we were researching how to become a member, you have to have direct ties to someone who was um, part of that process. Yeah. And that actually comes up in one of the episodes, remember, when Rory's working for the DAR, uh-huh. and she's talking on the phone with a woman, um, and she's saying, like, well, just finding a musket in your attic isn't enough proof. You have to have, like, um, right. like 
what, what does she say, like notarized genealogy or something yeah. to prove that yeah. you're actually like descended from the Revolutionary War patriot. And it's that kind of el- elitist, like we decide who is the elite that I think Rory is so drawn to mm-hmm. and which Lorelai can't stand. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the major difference between the two characters is that one wants to be notoriety in that sense and one just is kind of grossed out by it. Like she recognizes all the flaws. Right, yeah. Yeah. But what's interesting is that like, so the DAR, um, well, this is according to their, like this is in their own words, so I guess take it with a grain of salt, but they started out with like a really um, like kind of, admirable mission because they wanted to help women get involved with um you know with history and with education absolutely uh, which is you know incredible but just like the very the very um elitist way that they went about Mm -hmm. that is uh, yeah seems counter counterproductive and we also see how Lorelai wouldn't want to go with this grain because she herself was ostracized for being a teen mother. So Mm -hmm. she didn't fit in with the group. So she said, I'm not going to have any part of this. She didn't want any part of this elitist society where the moneyed class gets to decide what is right and wrong. I think that's something that Lorelai firmly disagrees with Mm -hmm. and spends most of her time fighting against. Mm -hmm. I don't know that she ever really articulates that that's the reason why Mm -mm. she doesn't want anything to do with it but I think that that's maybe what kind of motivates her yeah um but you know like what's really interesting is that like so she um she gets like really um like really angry when she finds out that Rory applied to Yale because Mm -hmm. obviously like her obviously you know Richard and Emily really want Rory to apply to go to Yale because where Richard went and everything Um, and and Lorelai just gets so angry when she finds out that Rory made her own choice right right the same way Emily responded when Lorelai made her Mm -hmm. own stark choice that's not but I think it's just so funny that like Lorelai is so against Rory going to Yale but She's totally fine with her going to Harvard, even though Harvard is, like, exactly the same as Yale. Like, Harvard also represents that elitist society that... Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, Lorelai, let's get... (laughs) Like, even from season one, um, there's a whole discussion about, does Rory want to go to Yale or or Harvard? Or is it something that Lorelai planted in her head? Because Mm -hmm. she talks about how... She, she tells Max Medina that she just really wants her to go there, mm-hmm. which is so interesting. Yeah, for that later yeah. conversation where Yale is the wrong choice. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, so, it's very complex and interesting. Yeah. I think, <laughs> like, we haven't, I feel like we haven't really talked about Lorelai that much. I know. But she's such a, like, complex character. I don't. Yeah. Okay. If you had to choose one character from all of literature that you are familiar with, at least, 
that represents Lorelai, who would it be? Oh, goodness. Um, do you have a good one in mind? <laughs> no, not really. Um, <laughs> she's like her own, like, her own creature. <laughs> like, so I, maybe she's like Frankenstein's creature. Like, she's... Uh, <laughs> or, hmm. You know, the only thing that really pops in my head, just so if I'm looking at Lorelai, I see herself position, positioning herself as a strong woman. Like she says she fancies herself Wonder Woman, but sometimes <laughs> it's tricky. So sometimes I think of her as like Titania from Midsummer, oh, or yeah. like just a strong like she fell in love with a donkey. female. Yeah, she <laughs> is strong by her own design she has decided to be strong and Mm -hmm. she is um but she also she's such a leader too yeah yeah that's i like that titania from midsummer just because both of them are so in a good way into (laughs) themselves they are celebrating themselves and their power as a individual and as a woman and i see that very strongly at in Lorelai and in Titania. Okay. Yeah. I see it. Yeah. I dig it. We said we weren't going to talk about Shakespeare. Gosh darn it. <laughs> I ruined everything. Me and my Shakespeare. They, well, I feel like we needed to like set that precedent because like if we, once we start talking about Shakespeare, <laughs> it's just going to open the floodgates, Aaron. I know. It's over. Everything. Shakespeare is in everything. I know. Okay. Maybe we should wrap this up. Yeah. <laughs> Are you still there? Are you still listening? Wow, we've gone. Okay, we're 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 running a little long here, um, but yeah. So, <laughs> how are we gonna wrap this up? How are we gonna? What's a good uh, last word? <gasps> we should end it with the la- a dramatic reading of the last scene of the revival series. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay, are you gonna be Rory or Lorelai? Do you have this memorized? I, well, it's only like four words. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? I can't remember. Okay. okay, well, okay, well, we'll write this down real quick. Um, but before we do that, um, let's just maybe mention that um, our next episode that we're going to be um, releasing after this one. Harry Potter. No. Oh. Star Wars. Oh, okay. We're no, we're not talking Star about Wars Harry and Potter. Who do you think I we can, are? I can promise you we will never talk about Harry Potter. No. But yeah, we're going to talk about Star Wars next. So if you're a Star Wars fan, or even if you're not, you should listen to it. Um, so, okay, so here's our scene that we're going to read. So would you like to be Rory or Lorelai? It will worry my family if I'm... <laughs> If I'm Rory, so oh, I'll be Lorelai. Okay. <laughs> so just as a disclaimer, this is a dramatic reading. This is not us talking. No. These are not our views. This is, okay, ready? Fictional. Mom? Yeah. Mom? Yeah? I'm pregnant.